You may open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Romans. I'm going to read two verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in light of the song we just sang about God's great faithfulness. The Apostle Paul wrote the Thessalonians, and as he closed out his first epistle, he said, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. We trust in a faithful God. Abraham did. God was faithful to Abraham, and for the most part, Abraham was faithful to him. And so God gave him a record in Scripture, both Testaments, that he was a man of faith that we are to follow. He's the father of the faithful. We today want to ask ourselves in the next number of minutes, do we have the faith that Abraham had? Do you believe God like Abraham believed God? Do you believe everything God said like Abraham believed everything God said? We want to ask ourselves that question. In Romans chapter 4, let me read to you verses 16 through 25. We have already dealt with verse 16 last Lord's Day, because though it does not end with a period, it is connected more to the verses that come before it than the verses that follow it. But let me read now to you verses 16 through 25. Therefore, it is of faith, that is speaking of justification, and the righteousness of God being upon His elect. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him For righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Amen Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. And it's wonderful words to us. We have two thoughts that we want to gather from these verses today. Verses 17 through 25. 
We want to gather the description of true faith, and we want to realize that what is written of Abraham was not just written for us to know how God declared him righteous, but that we would take comfort in the fact that God will declare us righteous by similar means. Faith in a different object. Faith in a different promise. Faith in the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, rather than faith that we will be the father of many nations and have a seed very numerous as Abraham did. Romans chapter 1 tells us in the 17th verse, the just shall live by faith, and that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God puts faith in men to preach it. God puts faith in men to hear it. And by the mutual faith, they are able to be encouraged as the word of the Lord comes to them and stirs up their faith. So then faith cometh by hearing, 10.17 of this same epistle. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that is to stir up our faith this day. I would like you to look at Second Peter chapter 1. I want to just keep you reminded where faith comes from. This is not something that we stir up. This is something that God gives and not all men have it. Paul tried to avoid men without faith. He was looking for men with faith because it's only men with faith that are able to receive the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he said, Pray for us that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. The way that most Arminians preach, you would think that's the audience he would want the most. That he would want to find those unreasonable and wicked men and preach to them so that they could grow in faith. No, Paul said, pray that I'll be delivered from them. Where did he go when he'd go into any city in the book of Acts? He'd go into the synagogue where there was so much faith as men sat there and had the Old Testament scriptures read to them and Jew and Gentile believed them. That's the audience Paul wanted for his evangelistic efforts. Acts 17 tells us that was his ordinary method of evangelism. If he couldn't find a synagogue in Acts 16, then he was out by the riverside in Philippi where prayer was wont to be made. He was looking for men that had faith. Paul never argued about the existence of God except to pagan speculators on the hill of Athens when he told them God is going to send Jesus Christ to destroy all of you men because you're so superstitious in thinking that God dwells in temples made with hands. He laid it on them. Go read it sometime. The last 15 verses of Acts chapter 17. But even there, there were men of faith and a woman of faith. Dionysius, the Areopagite, and Damaris. They got up and followed the Apostle Paul out of that assembly. Praise the Lord. Amen. He has his people in many places. But look at Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you want to know whether you're God's elect and you want to have assurance of eternal life, then this is the chapter to lead people to, first of all. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That verse teaches us that it is the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ that gives us faith. We have obtained it. It's been given to us. It's been given to us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We obtained it from them. We obtained that faith from them 
through the righteousness that God had given us. It's righteousness first, faith second. Righteousness first, faith the consequence. We've obtained it through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, all spiritual blessings, and faith is one of them, all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, where, and we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. And there's more verses to come, but right now we're in Second Peter chapter 1. Once God gives us that faith, then the man of God, Simon Peter in this case, writes to stir that faith up. And I want you to leave with your faith stirred up today. Because look at verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence. How much effort should go into this issue that I'm speaking to you about right now? How much effort? Giving all diligence. And beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. God gives us righteousness, which leads to faith. And we're to add to that faith We're to add to that faith virtue, and we're to do this with all diligence. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. This is the house of God. Your life. Your body. Your existence. These are the building stones of which you build up an edifice that is pleasing in the sight of God. There are eight stones, beginning with faith and ending with charity. How much do you love others? The last two describe your relationship to others. Brotherly kindness and charity. If these things be in you, verse 8, and abound. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you say that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, these things will be flooding your life. Everybody will be able to see these things coming out from you. These things right here. If they abound. And we're to give all diligence that they abound. This is how we build our lives. Our lives are not built on a job. Our lives are built on these things. Our lives are not built on bodily exercise. Godliness is profitable unto all things. This is what builds a life. These things right here. I don't have time to preach them to you. Brother Newell has written them to you recently. I've preached them to you many times. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, let's not be like that man in verse 9 at all. Let's be like the man in verse 8. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. Here's that word again. Diligence is applying yourself with effort and zeal. Work at this. This is important. This is a high and lofty goal. It deserves your best effort. These eight things are these eight things in your life. Today we start with faith. And we want Abraham's faith as Romans 4 describes it. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That is the guarantee of salvation. The guarantee of salvation is not a decision or a sinner's prayer as the Arminians teach and as so many of us heard so many times. This is it. This is the Word of God. Amen. Why don't they preach the Bible? Right. Do you know what they'll tell anyone and what they'll say about anyone when he's in a box in their churches? Well, he invited Jesus into his heart 40 years ago. 
I know that he's lived like the devil for the last 41 years, but he invited Jesus into his heart 40 years ago. This is the evidence of eternal life. Brethren, this is it right here. You say you're preaching salvation by works. Amen I am, brother. Thank you for perceiving it. It's the evidence of eternal life by works. I love this verse. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And I love verse 11 the most. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ministered unto you. Do you know what that means? The angels are going to be your servants to make sure that you do not, you are not deterred, not one foot off a path from A to B, A being earth and B being his eternal kingdom. It will be a straight line served by the angels of heaven. It will be ministered unto you abundantly. You will not barely get in. You know all the jokes that are made about the gate closing and St. Peter standing there? I don't even want to tell any of them. It's an offense to God to tell jokes about heaven. It'll be ministered to you abundantly. The angels will be excited. They'll be telling you what it's like on your one nanosecond ride there. Your ears will work that fast. They'll be glorified in your soul. This is the truth of the Bible. God gives us faith, we add to our faith, we do these things. These things are the evidence of eternal life. Look at James chapter 2. It's close by. James chapter 2. I want you to realize where faith comes from. We can't forget where faith comes from. It comes from God. God chooses us to faith. By nature, there would never be a man that has faith. Didn't Romans chapter 3 tell us that? There is none that understandeth. How much faith does that sound like? There is none that seeketh after God. How much faith does that man have? There is no fear of God before their eyes. How much faith is in Romans 3, 10 through 18? None. How many have faith? None. How much faith do they have? None. No, not one. James 2, 5. Hearken, my dear brethren. Listen to this. Stop and consider. Hearken. Listen. My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? Did He choose the poor of this world because they were rich in faith? Or did He choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? The whole point of the verse is, God has chosen the poor rather than the rich, so when the rich come into your assemblies, don't give them any more attention than you give the poor. Because the first four verses are describing the respective persons that many of the Jews were guilty of to whom James wrote. Don't you show respective persons because God doesn't. In fact, God does. Hearken, my brethren. God shows respective persons. He's chosen the poor to be His children. And He's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. God's made the poor rich in faith. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich... Not many wise in this world are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things and the poor things and the base things and the things that are nothing to bring to naught the things that are. This is the Word of God. If you've got faith today and you're poor, you're rich. If you've got faith today and you're rich, you're poor. 
for Christ's sake. Faith makes all the difference. Thank you, Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Acts 13, 48. This is the word of the Lord. You say, well, it's different from what the majority preach. Of course. The truth, is, the truth has never been preached by the majority. The majority like to swim and then drown in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. Faith, brethren, faith. Faith in the history that's in the Bible. Faith in the promises that are in the Bible. Faith in the doctrine that's in the Bible. And faith in the future that's described in the Bible. So we come to Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Our faith was given to us by God. Faith is an evidence of righteousness. And when the Bible says that it was counted to him for righteousness, it was imputed to him for righteousness, it was reckoned to him for righteousness, it was accounted to him for righteousness, those are the four different synonyms used in the Bible. It is the evidence of righteousness. Abraham's faith in an impossible promise was the evidence that that man had the righteousness of God upon him, that he himself was righteous, and that his faith was a righteous act on his part, and God counted it to him as a righteous thing. The simplest thing. God promised something. Abraham said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it Amen. for Abraham. I know some of you don't even like the middle clause, but the middle clause is in Genesis fifteen six. I know God said it, and that settles it as, a, as the general axiom. But when it comes to each of us personally, we believe it because God said it. Oh, look at verse 17. The Verse 16 ended with these words because it is transitional because we have the words as it is written. As what? What is the comparison? What is the explanation here? Because Paul in verse 16 has said, That which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And Paul here is going to make a little interesting sideline and point out that Abraham is the father of many nations, physically. He's also the father of many nations by faith. And all nations have been blessed through our father Abraham because he was the progenitor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 would say that many nations have been blessed through Jesus Christ and the faith of Gentiles of all nations believing in Jesus Christ. Here, the apostles pointing out that he's also our father, Gentiles of different nations from the Jews, because we have the faith that he had. And that's what he's pursuing in the next number of verses. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Brethren, this is such an exciting point here. I have made thee a father of many nations. Where is that written? It says, as it is written. The Jews would have known. Do you know what chapter to go to? Genesis chapter 17. Let's go there. We've been going to Genesis chapter 15. Because it was in 15 where God told Abraham, come outside and count the stars. That is how numerous your seed will be. In Genesis 17, it is a different conversation between Abraham and the Lord. I preached to you a couple of months ago from the first verse. When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk thou, walk before me and be thou perfect. And so on. Now verse four. As for me, 
This is the Lord speaking to Abraham. Behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Verse 6. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. This is important. Karen, listen. Let's deal with verb tenses for just a moment. In verse 4, Genesis 17, 4, she wasn't doing anything wrong. Forgive her already. I couldn't wait to see her today. She loves the English language. She was trained in the English language. I want her to love the Bible and our English Bible. Genesis 17.4. What tense is used by the Holy Spirit and by God speaking to Abraham about Abraham being the father of many nations? What tense is used in verse 4? Future. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Future tense. No doubt. God knew it. The Holy Spirit knew it. We know it. Verse 6. What tense is used in relation to God, to Abraham and nations coming from him? Future. I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. Future tense is used. But notice the verse in between. Genesis 17.5. Should we read the Bible carefully or should we just blow through it looking for a few sound bites? Should we just plug into our computer and say, give me a decent soundbite on faith from any of the 35 Bible versions that I have in my database? Look at that middle verse. Verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Hold. Past tense would be, I made thee. It's perfect tense. Perfect tense, meaning the action was perfect. You know what the word, you know what perfect means? The perfect tense? The action was perfected in the past and it's continuing to the present. When we say present perfect, we mean an action perfected and still true in the present. When we say past perfect, we mean an action perfected before the past and still true in the past. I had made thee. Would have, well, that, do we, let's not even go there. I don't want, listen, perfect tense is good enough for right now. Right. Thank you, Lord, for Genesis 17.4, I shall. For Genesis 17.6, I will. For Genesis 17.5, I have made. Praise the Lord. While you're looking at Genesis 17.5, let me read to you the message. Oh, the message. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. You'll be. That There's a will in there, though you can't tell by the slang. You will be. The contraction is a slang. Contractions are ridiculous. Why don't you get rid of them? You'll be the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Meaning that I'm making you. 
the father of many nations. I'll make you a father of many nations. I'll make nations from you. They use the future and the present. The future and the present. That God's in the process of doing it. God wasn't in the process of doing it. God was done doing it as far as He was concerned when He wrote Genesis 17.5. And I have other Bible versions there, but I don't have time there. So we end with that list of Bible versions. We believe the King James Bible for a reason. Because the Apostle Paul is making an argument in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 that there better be the perfect tense back in Genesis 17.5. If you don't have the perfect tense back in Genesis 17.5 of an action perfected in the past and still true in the present, then you're violating what Paul said the Old Testament better read. And you're stealing his argument. And you're stealing the glory of God. Because the glory of God is He is able to call those things which be not as though they were. Because God by His power is able to operate above verb tenses. God can declare things past that are still future from our vantage point because His purpose is unalterable. Who can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Daniel 4.35 Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Notice, the Holy Spirit did not pull forward Genesis 17.4. The Holy Spirit did not pull forward Genesis 17.6. The Holy Spirit pulled forward Genesis 17.5. Because there's a difference. 17.5 is better than 17.4 and 17.6. 4 and 6 were for Abraham's sake. Do you know what they were for Abraham's sake? To take Sarah on a rendezvous. That he still needed to do something. Because it was still future tense to him. That's the truth. So he took her away for a weekend. And at the set time next year, she gave birth to Isaac. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Genesis 17. Thank you, Lord. As it is written. So Romans 4.17 comes from Genesis 17, verse 5. I have made thee a father of many nations. Now speaking back, now we're back to Abraham. Look at Paul, Paul slipped in there. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. That's us Gentiles and Jews among them that are of faith. That God gave them faith. They're believers in the gospel. Who is the father of us all. He's the father of many nations. And he's the father of us all because he's the example of faith. And we come from him by virtue of being connected through faith. He was the first great example of faith that God wanted to focus on. He was the father of the Jewish nation, but he's the father of us all by his example of faith because that's what Paul continues to elaborate on. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, he was a father of many nations, literally, but he's also a father of many nations by being your father because you have faith, and that's the point Paul's driving at. Though the message he quotes is from a literal fulfillment in many nations. Do you know how many nations came out of him? Just think for a moment. Was he the father of Ishmael? Were the Ishmaelites a nation? Was he the father of Isaac? Did Isaac make a nation? Did Isaac make more than one nation? Okay. 
Was he the father of six sons by another wife named Keturah? Did they form nations? Yes. Father of many nations. Okay, but he's our father because he had faith and we want to have faith just like him. Before him, whom he believed, even God. In the sight of God, Abraham was the great example of faith and he was our father by the faith that he gave us to follow and we want to be the children of Abraham in this practical way by having the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Who quickeneth the dead. God raises the dead. That is a prerogative and an ability that God only has. Men cannot do it. Listen, physicians today can't even cure the common cold. Let alone raise the dead. God can raise the dead. He says in Deuteronomy 32 of himself in verse 39, I make alive and I kill. Or, take it this way, I kill and I make alive. The order doesn't matter to him. He gives life. He quickens the dead. To quicken is to give life again. To make alive again. We understand that spiritually. Here we can understand it in every respect. Only God can give life to someone dead, whether that's physical or whether it's spiritual. Only God is able to do it. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Now, of course, there's something alluded to here that Abraham was dead because verse 19 is going to tell us that. And Sarah was dead. Verse 19 is going to tell us that. They were dead reproductively. And so God was going to raise them from the dead. Abraham believed this so strongly. Do you believe it? Is death of little fear to you because you know that God quickens the dead? You've already been dead once and He quickens you. Do you think the second one's harder than the first one? If the Bible teaches us anything, the second one's easier than the first one. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. He's going to breathe into those nostrils again, but they're going to be different nostrils. They're going to be glorified nostrils. And you're going to have a glorified body. Trust this God who quickeneth the dead. You say, I feel so dead. Get on your knees and call unto Him who is able to quicken the dead. My marriage is dead. Get on your knees and pray for God to quicken the dead. He is able to quicken any form of death. Abraham knew that God could quicken his body. He could quicken Sarah's body. Abraham believed so much in the quickening power of God that he knew when he tied Isaac and put him on an altar and raised a knife to slay him that he could go ahead and kill him because he knew that God would raise him from the dead. That is how much he believed in the resurrection power of God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Believest thou this? I shortened it for your memory. Believest thou this? We do believe it. We do believe it, Lord. Marvel not at this. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Jesus Christ is going to call every reprobate and every saint out of the ground. And they will obey His voice. Do you know how powerful that is? How many millions have lived and died? How many billions? How many tens of billions have lived and died on this planet? And you shall die. And I'll die. Ninety billion? A hundred and ten billion? How many billions? We do not know. We can only speculate. When the Lord Jesus Christ utters His voice, Come forth! Ninety billion 
Do you think it's harder than 90? Not for the Lord. It's no harder for him to raise 90 billion than to pull Lazarus out of that tomb. Who quickeneth the dead. We believe that. We believe that we're born dead in trespasses and sins and he quickens us. We believe that though we die and we're put in the ground, bodies only, bodies only down there, that he's coming back to raise our bodies from the ground and give us glorified brains that don't have headaches and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Karen, that's what I wanted to show you, this right here. Romans 4.17, God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. See, the Holy Spirit knows that the verb tense was wrong as far as you and I are concerned, but the verb tense was right as far as God is concerned. He called Abraham the father of many nations when he was not the father of many nations. He said, I have made thee the father of many nations. But he had not yet made him the father of many nations. But because God's purpose is unalterable and his counsel so sure, he's able to declare things that are not yet done as if they were done. And brethren, do we, do we like that? Because in Romans chapter 8 it says of us that He foreknew us, He predestinated us, He called us, He justified us, and He glorified us. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. In the purpose of God, we're already glorified. It is so sure. Do you believe that? Amen. If you don't believe it, then you're not like Abraham. Abraham believed what God said in the perfect tense. God has used the past tense for our glorification. Do you believe it? If you don't believe it, then you're not like Abraham. If you believe it, then God has given you the faith to lay hold of Scripture and you're like Abraham, your father, by his example of faith. He calleth those things which be not as though they were. What a God. Let me say it again. King Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes at the end of the days. It was quite a few days. It was seven years of days. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and blessed and extolled and praised the Most High God. This is the greatest monarch that ever walked this planet. God said that of him. He was a king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was reduced to a beast for seven years. At the end of those days, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and blessed and extolled and honored and praised him that liveth forever and ever, who doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And Nebuchadnezzar was speaking of himself. And he said, Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, do praise and honor him who is the king of kings, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. What was he referring to when he said that? That those who walk in pride, he is able to abase? He wrote that thing in the first person. He sent it to all languages of the earth. It wasn't written in Hebrew. It was written in the language of the Chaldeans and translated from there. I, Nebuchadnezzar, want to tell you the great things that the high God hath done toward me. It's a wonderful chapter in the Bible. The greatest monarch that ever lived. Praise the Lord. Verse 18, let's get back to Abraham. Who against hope, believed in hope. What in the world does that mean? When it was hopeless, he had hope. Some little thing happens in your life when you get hopeless. Why? You're not like Abraham. 
who against hope believed in hope. There was no hope of him being the father of many nations. There was no hope of it. He was dead reproductively. Sarah was dead reproductively. There was no hope. The grasshopper wasn't a burden. The grasshopper had died and been buried. I refer to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 to the wise among the audience who know the Word of God. He was dead. She was dead. There was no hope. It was hopeless. He couldn't be the father of many nations. He couldn't have a son by Sarah. But who against hope? Believed in hope. If God said it, and if God used the past tense, and God can quicken the dead, I believe it. And he's Now we're going to have explained to us what God sees in the faith of Abraham that we ought to have in our faith. When hopeless matters come, in which you cannot see your way out, we trust God. Not only can He see a way out, He can see another way out. Not only can He see two ways out, He can see three ways out. And because of limited time, I'll stop at three. Because He can see an infinite number of ways out. And He has the power to enable every single one of those ways. Put your trust in Him, brethren. This is Romans 4 for us. Paul, Paul digresses from arguing specifically about justification to build up our faith. There's nothing hopeless except in this world. There's nothing hopeless except the natural man. There's nothing hopeless other than the inter- except the internet. There's nothing hopeless except Hollywood. It's all hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. None of their movies ever end with hope. I wish you would look at that. It is the worst thing about Hollywood. It is not nudity and it is not cursing. It is hopelessness because there is no faith in Hollywood. And we need to have lives based on faith. They always end up and there's no hope. What is their future? We have hope for eternity. We have hope for the rest of today. We have hope for tomorrow. We have hope in sickness. We have hope in health. We have hope in marriage. We have hope in finances. We always have hope. Because God can quicken the dead. So what you think is dead is still alive. In God's sight. Hope is usually grounded on probabilities of success. It's math in your mind even though you don't like math. And even though you may not have ever taken probabilities and statistics, hope is usually grounded on probabilities of success based on existing abilities to perform a work. That's what hope usually is. Whether you, whether you know math or not, you intuitively make a calculated decision based on whether that can really happen. That is thinking in the flesh. That is stupid thinking. That is wasted thinking. That is discouraging thinking. That is giving place to the devil. If you're a melancholy and you like to do a lot of thinking and you start thinking like that, you'll never go anywhere. That gives the devil a foothold in your life. Believe God. Probabilities to him? Are you kidding me? The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Probabilities? God has never heard of a probability. He's heard of a certainty. And our hope is to rest on certainties. Romans chapter 8 says, it defines hope for us. Do you know what hope is for us regarding eternal life? We do with patience wait for it. Because we know it's coming. Because He's used the past tense for our glorification. 
Because he's certain in his counsel and in all his decrees. Who against hope believed in hope. Do you know why it was hopeless? He was 99 and she was 89. He rounded himself off to 100 when he laughed in Genesis 17. I want you to know Abraham laughed first. He said, shall a man that's 100 years old have, have a child by his wife? Yes. Yes, he shall. Because God had purposed it. Abraham had a son when he was 100. Sarah gave birth when she was 90. Because God said, I have made thee a father of many nations. Because God said, Sarah shall bear you a son. Ishmael is not mine. Isaac is the one that is mine. Brethren, the Bible is filled with stories to build up our faith. In this prayer room this morning, my father gave us Romans 15.4. Now the things that were written aforetime, Old Testament to them, old and new to us, now the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Bible is written to build your hope. The Bible is to teach you patience. It's to, it's to help you learn something. The things that were written for time were written for our learning. Let's learn something right now. That through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. How in the world could Abraham find a wife for Isaac? For any of you wondering, where is my spouse going to come from? Come on, quit worrying about it. What are you doing? Counting? Counting at night? Well, I know that, oh, he's not good enough. I know, oh, my parents won't approve of him. Well, there's just nobody. You're counting again. And you haven't even taken probabilities and statistics yet. And if you haven't taken probabilities and statistics yet, you don't have a right to think like that. And if you have taken probabilities and statistics, you don't have a right to think like that. Put your trust in God. How in the world was Abraham going to find a wife for Isaac when he was out in the middle of nowhere? And he was wandering nowhere. We keep changing schools every year. We change churches every year. I'm never going to get to know anybody. Put your trust in the Lord. Amen. What does the Bible say of her? Was she beautiful to look upon? Oh, yeah. Now, who said that? The Holy Spirit. Right. I think she was decent. The Holy Spirit says she was beautiful to look upon. Was she gracious? Can you see the sweat flying off her forehead as she runs to give drink to ten camels? Do you think she's going to do that with a gallon jug? Listen, they'd swallow the plastic along with the one gallon of water. That's what Abraham's servant found when he went looking for a wife for Isaac. Now, how long did it take him? Did he go from A to B? Was it a straight line? Did he go straight to a well and stop there and say, Lord, if my master has found favor in your sight, let some lass come out here and and want to burn herself out for the next 30 minutes, giving us all a drink. What happened? Praise God. Where's your hope? Who against hope believed in hope. You think something's hopeless, young people? Put your hope in God. The Bible's given so that you can learn it. Hannah couldn't conceive. 
how would you like to live at home with another wife who just keeps popping out the babies like she's a baby factory? And you're Hannah, and you can't have a baby. And you're trying hard to have a baby. You're doing everything that you're supposed to do to have a baby. But no baby comes. Did she get a baby? Did she get another baby? Did she get another baby? Another baby? Another baby? Another baby? Yes, praise God. That's what the Bible's for. You say, well, that's just a Bible story. I know. That's what God gave it for. For adults. To learn from those stories. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Did Hannah have some patience? Yes, and she prayed. Did Hannah get some comfort? Yes. Guess who Peninnah had to read about every night in the newspaper? Her son's? Or Hannah's son. Hannah's son. Every time she turned on the radio, I'm so tired of hearing about Samuel. She had persecuted Hannah her whole their, through their marriage, but God had mercy on Hannah. Do you believe these things? I love Acts chapter 27 where Luke is on an evangelistic preaching trip with Paul. And they are in one serious storm. They did not see the sun for 14 days. That is hard to imagine. That is a serious storm. Do you know what Luke said? All hope was gone. <laughs> I love the Bible. I'd have said that at the end of day one. I'm sorry to tell you how weak my faith is. Pray for me. And I'm, I mean that. I've been, on, I've been on ships in storms. And I lost my hope very quickly. Oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm supposed to be an example of faith. I love reading Acts 27. All hope was gone is penned in the Holy Scriptures. Do you know what the next verse says? Paul stood up. Paul stood up and got the whole crew there around him, all these Roman pagans. He got around and said, break out the food. Let's have something to eat. Be of good cheer, man. What? We haven't seen the sun in 14 days. Be of good cheer. The angel of God stood by me this night and told me that not a hair of your heads will be harmed. Not a single life is going to be lost. We will be cast upon an island. We are going to have a shipwreck. It is going to be exciting before it gets better. But not a single one of you will be lost. I get goosebumps telling you that. Acts 27 is powerful. Be of good cheer. While you're rocking all over, let's have something to eat. Make some submarine sandwiches, sub-sandwiches out of what we have left. They'd already cast everything overboard. They were destitute. Their trip was profitless. But they had their lives. It's all by the glory of God for hope. This is what the Bible's written for. We could multiply these examples all the time. And we should. These are the things we ought to talk about among each other. And build up our faith. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He ties the two together. Genesis 17 with Genesis 15 puts them together because both were telling him something that he couldn't see yet, but he believed it by God's Word. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith. Do you love to read that in the Word of God about Abraham and Sarah? Abraham fell on his face. He burst into laughter in Genesis chapter 17. It's in, it's about, it's a, well, it's about verse 11. I want to get it for you just right. It's verse 17. Genesis 17, 17. Abraham fell on his face 
and burst into laughter. It's impossible for me to have a son when I'm a hundred years old. And then in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12, Sarah burst into laughter inside when she heard God say out her, outside of her tent that she was going to give birth to a child at 90 years of age. They both laughed. But the Bible says, being not weak in faith, comfort yourselves. Believe God. I know you have weak faith. I have weak faith. He knows we have weak faith because do you know what? He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that love him. Do you ever reach forward with faith and lay hold of him? Of course you do. Do I lay hold of him by faith? That's good enough for the Lord. And being not weak in faith. He was weak in faith. But the Lord overlooked it for all the strength that was in his faith. And if we have strength in faith most of the time, the Lord will overlook the other times, especially when we confess it to him and say, Father, I'm sorry for not having greater faith than I do. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Did Jesus answer that man's prayer request? We need to, we need to remind, did he? Yes, he did. What was the situation? Was it hopeless? A devil-possessed son. How hopeless was it? The disciples could not cast the devil out. The apostles could cast devils out of any other children, but they could not cast the devils out of the man, the young man, in Matthew chapter 17, and it's also in other gospels. And that man came to Jesus and said, your disciples could not heal my son. I am in one desperate situation. If you believe all things are possible with God, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Bam! Son was all better. Jesus said, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Verse 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It is so tiring to hear any of you ever describe the difficulties of what is facing you. That doesn't mean I won't listen for a while. But it is so tiring to hear about you describing, well, I just can't see any changes. You're blind. You can't see anything. You can't see what's going to happen five minutes from now. What are you talking about? Why are you even looking? We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, I just don't see any changes. You're lost. You don't have any faith. You're talking like a secret atheist. Stop talking that way. I love this verse right here. I love this verse is the way it describes faith. And being not weak in faith, that means he was strong in faith. So here's what strong faith does. He considered not his own body now dead. He did not think about it. He did not say to himself, when was the last time I was able to, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. He didn't think about that. He didn't ask himself, when was the last time Sarah had a period? He didn't say anything like that. He didn't consider anything like that. Because to do that is to be a secret atheist. You're doubting God. You're trying to reason through something 
from your human perspective rather than realize God has a divine power and a divine prerogative to do what He will when He will. There's no limit to Him. You're putting limits on Him. You're an atheist. This is the mark of skeptics. He considered not his own body. Don't consider those things. We can't figure those things out. Our minds are so limited. His is unlimited. Our power is so limited. His is unlimited. Brethren, what do you feel is lacking with God? The will to help? The truthfulness in His promises? Or the power to help? Or all three? How much of an atheist are you? Are you a one-pointer, a two-pointer, or a three-point atheist? That God doesn't have the will to help, He doesn't have the truthfulness in His promises, and He doesn't have the power to help. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not good at illustrations. And I'm serious about this. This verse right here would solve so many problems. Don't let anybody ask you, did Adam have a navel? Now that's just considering too much. Who cares if he had a navel or not? I'll tell you what I do know. Out of the dust of the earth, God formed Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. I know that. I don't care whether he had a navel or not. Are you excited that they have found Noah's Ark over in Turkey? I don't care about that either, except a little tiny bit. And that's just for the skeptics. It won't help them, though. I don't need to see a picture of Noah's Ark. I know everything there is to know about Noah's Ark. I know how long it was. I know how wide it was. I know how high it was. I know how many floors it had. And I know where the door is. If you got me to it with a blindfold, I could get in the door. Because I know where the door is. I know where the window is. I know what it's made out of. I know what's between the seams and the wood. I know what it held. I know how long it held it. I know where it ended. I don't care if it's been moved by Martians. I know where it ended because I believe the Bible. And I don't consider any of that stuff. You know, what if they find Noah's Ark on Paris Mountain? And the Bible says it ended, it rested on Mount Ararat. I'm going to say the Martians moved it. I'm going to say the Indians floated it over here. It won't matter. I'm going to believe God. This is so important. And I'm going to end with this point before we... This point will save you in so many theological and scriptural arguments. When somebody comes to you and tries to overthrow you on anything, like, for instance, creation or evolution, and they start raising questions about things you don't know, it doesn't matter. They don't know either. They're entirely speculating. Listen, they want to tell us that 500 million light years away is a certain star that was formed a certain way. They can't even find Osama bin Laden. Are you kidding me that they can find that star and tell you, listen, do you know how far a light year is? And they want to tell you it's 500 million light years away? They don't know it's that distance. That is speculation. We don't consider anything they bring up. It's not because we're unreasonable. They are unreasonable. We start with faith in a creator. In intelligent design. 
infinite intelligence. They begin with nothing. And they reason from nothing. They reason from chance. They reason from a vacuum. They reason, they reason from no intelligence. They are unreasonable. We are reasonable. When somebody comes and says to you, where was the Bible in 1610, if the King James Version is the Bible, since it was printed in 1611 with its first editions? We don't care where it was. That's in God's considerations. Right. We don't consider it. Yes, but there's manuscript evidence that wasn't found in the days of the translators of the King James translations. They've found more manuscripts since then. So what? The reason they found them is because they were able to hunt better because no one else was reading them, so they were buried. The ones that were being read by the churches were all understood and found. We don't go there. And you say, well, they'll just make fun of me. No, you don't. I'm going to tell you a secret right now. You tell them, why do you believe in the 60... And I've taught you this so many times, and I know I'm repeating myself. Why do you believe in a 66-book canon of the Bible? On what basis do you believe in the 66-book canon of the Bible? Why don't we hold to the books that the Catholics have in their Bible? Why do we call certain books apocryphal? False writing with no authority. Where is the epistle to the Laodiceans? Where is the book of Jasher? Ask them that. I believe the King James Bible is God's word by faith. God promised He'd preserve His Word. God gave identifying fruit of His Word. God said the internal facts would be accurate. And God said fools would make fun of it. And therefore, because you're making fun of it, and you're a fool, I believe the King James... You don't have to go that far. I usually end with Numbers 1 and 2. I believe the King James Bible is God's Word by faith and fruit. And that cuts them off. They cannot argue with you. Because they're faithless men. Their faith is entirely in their own intellectual ability and the intellectual ability in the men who promoted them to their present positions. And the men that promoted them to their present positions were promoted to their positions before them by other men and they all hold together. They're pseudo-scholars. They have a science that is falsely so-called science. It's called textual criticism. It is criticism and skeptics against the Word of God. And God has said, I will make foolish the wisdom of this world. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Do you know what a disputer is? A textual critic on the Word of God. Where is he? Do you know what they'll have to answer? We don't know. We don't know how the 66 books came together. We just believe it by faith. And you say, thank you. Argument settled. The King James Version is God's word by faith. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. We don't consider all those things. When you're in a financial dilemma, you're going to look in your checkbook and you're going to realize it's hopeless. When you're in a hospital bed and the physician says you have cancer, and there's nothing more we can do, you're going to be hopeless. If you listen to things like that, and you think about things like that, and you worry about things like that, then you're lacking in faith. Because you've just got to believe God. Now, God may not 
cure your cancer the way you're thinking of it being cured. But the worst thing that can happen is the best cure. For you to die is the best cure for cancer. And you should be careful about how you pray. And this is about every part of your life. Believe God. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And the Holy Spirit will repeat this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 12, that Abraham was dead reproductively. He will use the word dead because he was. It was hopeless. But there is, it is nothing is ever hopeless with the Lord. We want to be like faithful Abraham. God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. He can give promises above verb tenses. Brethren, do you believe every historical fact in the Bible? Six days of creation. The sun stood still for a day and a night. Sun stood still. The shadow went backward on Ahaz's sundial. You believe those things? Do you believe the doctrine of the Bible? That the Lord Jesus Christ levitated out of this earth in the sight of his apostles and, and went through the interstellar spaces into heaven with a physical body and arrived in heaven. And Revelation chapter 5 describes his arrival when he arrived in heaven and took the book out of the hand of him that sits on the throne out of the hand of Almighty God. Do you believe that? Do you believe Hebrews 9.15 that says, Through the eternal spirit he offered himself without spot to God for our sins. Do you believe that? Do you believe the promises he gives you, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it? Do you believe that? Lay hold of those promises. Practice them. Believe them. Do you believe the things he's told about the future? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain. Do you believe those things? That's prophecy in the future. We have history in the the past. We have doctrine. We have personal promises to us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you believe that? The hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. These are not just nice sayings that we have. These are not just maxims to put at the bottom of your emails. These are promises of God that we believe. And we lay hold of them like Abraham laid hold of those given to him. Let's not be weak in faith. Let's not consider things that make it appear hopeless. Against hope, let's believe in hope. Let's have hope when things are hopeless. The world was going to try to sell you hopelessness. The devil's going to try to sell you hopelessness, and your flesh is hopeless by nature. We come together like this to hear the Word of God and to walk out of here with hope. All those Bible stories, they're not just for your children. They're for you. They're given to us for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Amen.